Scripture reading this morning will be read from Acts 2.40. Acts chapter 2, verse 40. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Good morning and welcome to our worship service. We are glad that you're here today. If you're visiting, we encourage you to come back. We love to have visitors here at Olive Branch, and we're glad that you've chosen to be with us today. It might be that you are looking for a church home, and as always, we invite you to consider the work here. We have had any number of people that have come and placed membership with us, and we would love to have you come and join hands with us as we strive to make known the Lord Jesus Christ in this community. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 2 at verse 40 today. As we think about the theme, what would it take to make you change? Sometimes I ponder in my own mind what it would take to make certain people make a change in their lives. I'm not sure that I fully have the answer to that question. There are no doubt any number of reasons why some people are living as they do. And yet, those of us who belong to the body of Christ, we are concerned, genuinely concerned, about those who are lost. We're concerned about those who have never obeyed the gospel. And yes, we're even concerned about those who have obeyed the gospel, but for whatever reason have gone back into the world. And so today I want us to think for a moment or two about the theme, what would it take to make you change? The first thing that I would call attention to would be a self-examination. By way of analysis, where do we stand in the eyes of God? You know, the Lord Jesus Christ surveyed the seven churches of Asia in Revelation chapters two and three. The church, of course, is composed of people. We are what make up the church locally and universally. And so it would behoove us to take stock, spiritual inventory, if you please, of where we stand before the Lord. The apostle Paul in the long ago instructed the people who lived in the city of Corinth to examine themselves. And then to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4 at verse 16, Paul would say, take heed to yourself. What I want to do is to call attention for just a moment or two about the state of the unsaved. Who are the unsaved? There are really two classes of people that we want to consider. The first would be the alien sinner. The alien sinner is somebody that has never responded to the gospel of Christ. In other words, here's somebody, for whatever reason, they have never obeyed the gospel. The alien sinner, that is, those who have never obeyed the gospel, they are people that have never been baptized into Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 2, we read of the Apostle Peter preaching the first gospel sermon. On that day, he declared to the people in the city of Jerusalem the risen Christ. 
He underscored the fact that Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of prophecy, that God had raised him from the dead, and that he now reigns at the right hand of Almighty God. He is, sit he is sitting upon the throne of David. It is a spiritual throne. In verse 36, Luke tells us that those who were present cried out, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. Biblical baptism is for the remission of sins. People are baptized to be saved, not because they are saved. People are baptized into Christ so that they might have their sins forgiven. It is not an outward sign of an inward grace, but rather people are baptized so that they might contact the blood of Christ. And so the alien sinner is somebody that has never been baptized into Christ. It is also someone that has never been washed by the blood of Christ. There is a lot of confusion among many people about how we contact the blood of Jesus. In order for us to appropriate the blood of Jesus, we have to go where that blood was shed. John tells us in chapter 19, verse 34, that Jesus shed his blood in death. Therefore, because he shed his blood in death, we have to go where that blood was shed. That's why Paul would say in Romans chapter 6 at verse 3, Know ye not that all we who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. That's where we appropriate the grace of God, the mercy of God, and the blood of Jesus. Why is the blood of Jesus important? Well, because Paul said it's in him, that is in Christ, that we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. That's why John would say in Revelation chapter one at verse five, unto him who loved us and washed us from our sins by his own blood. Furthermore, that's why the apostle Paul was instructed by Ananias to arise and be baptized and wash away his sins, Acts 22 verse 16. Now there's a third thing characteristic of those who have never obeyed the gospel. And that is, they have not been added to the body of Christ. When you and I are baptized into Christ, we contact the blood of Christ. And we are placed in the body of Christ. What is the body of Christ? The body of Christ is simply the church of Christ. In other words, it is the ecclesia, the called out ones, the community of the saved. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 at verse 13, for by one spirit were you all baptized into one body. Somebody might ask the question, what is the body? Paul said he is the head of the body of the church, which is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. When people are baptized into Christ, God adds them to the church, according to Acts 2 at verse 47. When people obey the gospel, God is the one that places them in that divine body. 
Now somebody asked the question, why do I need to be a member of the church? Well, because those who are in the church are the saved. In Ephesians 5 verse 23, Paul said, he is the savior of the body. So the saved are in the body. And the body comprises the saved. Now I want you to think with me in the second place about apostate saints. That's the second class of the unsaved. The first class are those who have never obeyed the gospel. The second class of people we're talking about are those who at one time had been baptized into Christ only to go back into the world or to give up, to leave the faith. The Bible speaks of many people that for one reason or another left the Lord. It was not uncharacteristic to see people in the scriptures walk away from the Lord. The Bible talks about Hymenaeus and Alexander who made shipwreck of their faith. Or Hymenaeus and Philetus who concerning the truth Paul said have erred teaching that the resurrection is already past. And then there is Demas of whom Paul said hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. And so there are folks that have left the Lord. The Bible tells us that those of this class have forsaken the right way, 2 Peter chapter 2 at verse 15. That would imply that at one time they had been on the right road, doing what we would call the right thing or things. At one time, they had lived in accordance with the will of God. At one point in time, they had been numbered among the faithful, but they chose to leave the right way. Now in Matthew chapter 13, verse 22, Jesus talks about those on whom the seed of the kingdom falls. And he speaks of a class of people who have the seed choked out because of the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. You see, some have forged a relationship with the world and that's why they're not among the faithful. It may be that they've gone back to old habits. It might be that they have gone back to an old lifestyle, one that they had previously given up. In 2 Peter chapter 2 at verse 20, Peter talks about those who at one time had escaped the corruptions that are in the world through lust by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But he said they have become entangled therein once again. So here's the sad plight of those that are not faithful. They're not what they ought to be. Now, I understand that the church is comprised of people on various, of various maturity levels. Those of us who belong to the church here, we are at different junctures in our spiritual maturity. But hopefully and prayerfully, we all have one goal, and that is to go to heaven. But I also understand that in order for us to go to heaven and in order for us to be what we ought to be, we have to make some effort. We have to decide with, within ourselves that we're going to be what God would have us to be.
that we're going to try to the best of our ability to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That we are going to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. That we're going to be an example of the believers to a lost and dying world. We have to make those decisions. So, the state of the unsaved, the alien sinner, those who have never obeyed the gospel, and the apostate saint, those who have gone back into the world. Now I want you to consider with me in the second place a sobering exhortation, an admonition if you please. In Acts the second chapter, the apostle Peter, again, preaching to those people on Pentecost Day in the city of Jerusalem where the church had its beginning. Luke tells us that with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, save yourselves from this crooked or untoward generation. One of the things that is inherent in scripture is a constant pleading. There is a constant pleading on the part of preachers and teachers and Almighty God. That pleading is that people would come to the Lord, that they would live as God would have them to live. Now I want to ask this question as we think about the state of the unsaved, and I want us to consider that in light of this question. What would it take to make you turn around? I want to just ask you right now, where are you spiritually speaking? Are you faithful? Are you a Christian? Are you unfaithful? Are you where you ought to be? My challenge every week is to try to encourage people to live as God would have them to live. Sometimes I only have one shot because some are only here one time. Sometimes I have two shots on any given Sunday. But my goal is to encourage, to admonish, to plead, to persuade, to get people to think about their spiritual lives. And so I want to ask this question. If you're not where you ought to be, what would it take to make you turn around? Now just think about that for a minute. What would it take to make you turn around? What would it take in your life? Number one, would it take some type of personal crisis? In other words, would it take something happening in your life that is catastrophic? You might say, well, that never happened to me. Let me tell you what. There are people associated with this congregation that have had friends and relatives that have faced some catastrophic circumstances. Sometimes catastrophic circumstances will bring you to your knees. I think about Job that great patriarch of the past. Imagine if you can, undergoing the siege of adversities that he experienced in his life. 
Job had 10 children, seven sons and three daughters. He lost every one of those children. Job was a wealthy man and he lost his wealth. Job was a healthy man and he lost his health. Sometimes we have to hit rock bottom before we can climb up. And sadly, some folks are on rock bottom. They just don't have enough sense to wake up. So would it take a personal crisis in your life? Let me ask a second question. Would it take the possibility of death? Would it take some, some type of near-death experience to get your attention? Again, you may say, well, that never happened to me. Let me tell you about a man by the name of Hezekiah. The Bible says that Hezekiah was instructed by Isaiah the prophet to set his house in order because God said, you will die and not live. Don't tell me that physicians don't tell their patients, you're gonna die. Had a friend of mine that told me his father was undergoing tests and the diagnosis was an aggressive form of lymphoma. And here's what the doctor said, Mr. Leonard, you only have a few weeks or months to live. He lived three weeks to the day. Don't count death out. Don't say because I'm young, I will never die. There are a lot of young folks in graves today. Don't say because I'm middle-aged, it can't happen to me. Let me tell you what, it happens every day. Read the newspaper. It happens every day. Would it take the possibility of death? I mean, do you have to stare death in the, in the face for that to get your attention, for you to wake up and realize, you know what, I better get my life on track? Is that what it's going to take? Is it going to take you coming face to face with the thought of stepping out into eternity before you're going to change? Let me ask a third question. Would it take the death of somebody close to you? Maybe your husband or wife. God forbid a son or daughter or grandchild. I want to ask you, is that what it's going to take? Is it going to take you losing somebody that you have stood by day in and day out? Is that what it's going to take to wake you up spiritually? For you to realize, you know what? I better make things right with the loving God because it could happen to me. In John chapter 11, we read about Mary and Martha, the sisters of Lazarus. Word was sent to Jesus about their friend Lazarus. In about verse 14, Jesus plainly said to the disciples, Lazarus is dead. Jesus was met first by Martha. You know what she said? Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Mary echoed the same sentiments. Is that what it's going to take? Is it going to take you burying a husband, a wife, a son, a daughter, a brother, a sister, a friend, before your senses are going to be jarred to where you understand, I only have one shot at this life and I better make the most of it. 
Let me ask you another question. Would it take the thought of missing out on heaven? Well, we talk about heaven theoretically, but what about heaven? I mean, we talk about we want to go to, do we really want to go to heaven? I mean, are we, are we dead set on going to heaven? Or do we have in our mind, you know what, I want to go to heaven. I understand I'm not living the way I ought to be living. But I'll have time and opportunity to make things right. You're banking on an uncertainty. Solomon said, who knows what a day may bring forth. You do not know what's going to happen tomorrow. Are you willing to forfeit missing out on heaven? Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. Here's what John said about heaven. He said, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, nor, he said, will there be any more crying or sorrow or pain, for these former things are passed away. Are you willing to forfeit that for a life of sin? Is it going to take the thought of missing heaven for you to wake up? What about the doom of hell? Is it going to take you thinking about the danger of hell before you'll come to your senses? Let, let me just be real honest with you. I'm not sure exactly what a person's breaking point is. I'm not sure what it will take for some to come to their senses, as Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 2. But I know this. There are a lot of folks in our world today, they're not living right, and they do not want to go to hell. But when you begin to look at what Scripture says about hell itself, are you willing to live in the world, to reject the overtures of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are you willing to, to forfeit all of that? Are you willing to forfeit your eternal soul for the here and now? Jesus asked this question. What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? I want to ask you this question right now. Are you willing to give, are you willing to give up your soul for alcohol, for drugs, prescription drugs, for sexual improprieties? Are you willing to sell out for greed? Are you willing to give up your soul for lying? I'm just asking a question. What does your soul mean to you? Here's the tragedy. Most of us, we know what the Bible says about heaven and hell. We want to go to heaven. You know where the rub is? 
we just don't want to live like we want to go to heaven. How do I know that? Because Jesus said, by their fruits you shall know them. You see, we are fruit inspectors. If a person is not living right, doing right, acting right, what are we to conclude? They're not where they ought to be spiritually. Let me ask you this question. We ask, we ask, what would it take to get you to turn around? So it's not the possibility of death. It's not the loss of a loved one. It's not some type of personal crisis. It's not the fear of missing heaven. It's not the fear of hell. What about when you sit down and think about what the Lord, what the Lord has done for you? Would that cause you to change? The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Paul would say in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. When you sit down and you begin to contemplate what God the Father has done for us through his Son Jesus Christ, is that not enough to make you change? And then Paul would say, but God who is rich in love for the great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has made us alive together with Christ. By grace are you saved. Here's another question. When we ask, what would it take to make you turn around? What about the Lord, what, about what the Lord wants for you? We talk about what the, what the Lord has done for you, but what is it that the Lord wants for you? Here's what the Bible says. God would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God is in the saving business. He wants you to be saved. It would be tragic indeed if one of us were to be lost in this assembly. It may be that 100 years from now, someone in this assembly will be in eternity and be lost. Why? It wasn't because God didn't love them. It wasn't because God didn't want what was best for them. It was because, for whatever reason, just weren't willing to turn around. And I want to ask you a second question. When will you turn around? But let's just make the case that you're not where you ought to be spiritually speaking right now. You know it. You know you're not where you ought to be. When, when do you think you're going to turn this boat around? You're going to do it now? The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 at verse 2, now is the day of salvation. You will, are you willing to do it today, this hour, Here's the second, here's the second thought. Never. It may be for you now or never. The reason I say that is because you may not be back again. Do you know how many times I've had people call me on the telephone and ask me, would you do my husband, wife, son, daughter, etc.?" 
Would you perform their memorial service this week? I had a call yesterday from a family. And the man told me, he said, I don't think my mother's going to make it. Maybe another day or two. I just want to bring you up to date. Listen, it may be that I'll get a call from your family this week. It's not beyond the realm of possibility. I hope not. I pray not. For all we know, I could, I could be in eternity by this time next week. So, what would it take to turn you around? When are you going to turn around? Now or never? In Acts chapter 24, we read about the Apostle Paul standing before one of the Roman leaders of his day. He reasoned with him about righteousness, temperance, and the judgment to come. And the Bible says that Felix was terrified. But here's what he said, go your way. When I, have a, when I have a more convenient season, I'll call for you. I don't know if that convenient season ever came. I want to close by saying this. I care about each of you. I think about, I think about the members of this congregation. I think about you all the time. My prayers are with you and for you. And there are folks that I, that I wonder, what could I say, what could I do to prompt them to be where they ought to be? As I said a moment ago, I'm not sure I have the answer. But I know this. If you're not paying attention during the worship service, if you're floating in and out when you please, if you're not living a godly life day in and day out, yeah, I'm concerned about you. You know why I'm concerned about you? Because you're in trouble. You're in real deep trouble. You see, we're trying to go to heaven. And we want everybody to go to heaven. But I worry about some of the folks here. I worry about some of you. Because when it comes to faithfulness and being where we ought to be when we ought well when it comes to being where we ought to be and what we ought to be I just wonder what's going on I want to close by asking you what's it going to take to make you turn around honestly What's it going to take? You can tune me out if you want to. That's fine. It's your choice. You can say no to the gospel. You can say no to the Lord. That's your choice. You have that right. But I want you to know that the elders of this church, they love you. The deacons in this church, they love you. I want you to know that the members of this church, if you're not where you ought to be, they love you. We all love you. We want you to be where you ought to be. It's, it's only out of concern that we say these things. So if you're here today and you're not a Christian, now's the time. 
No better day than today. If you've never obeyed the gospel, why not today? Why not this hour? Why not be baptized for the remission of your sins? Just like Peter said in Acts 2 verse 38. If you're not faithful, why not today? Why not make it right today? Don't leave here. Don't leave here knowing you're not living as you should. Make it right. Do what's right. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God wants you to be saved. And ultimately, it's in your court as we stand and sing.